Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. This morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them tell in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Ascends our reading of God's powerful word. May all who hear it call upon the name of their Lord. Back when I was a student at the University of Michigan, I had the unique opportunity to share the gospel with many of the students who were living in my dorm. And one of the beauties of living on campus at, at U of M is that, is that there are people from all walks of life. People from other nations and from other ethnic backgrounds. And so if you wanted, you could have a, a multicultural influence for Christ. And so that's what I chose to do. I chose to share the gospel with whomever would listen. And on one such occasion, I, I got to share the gospel with a student named Shalish. Now, now Shalish was an American, but he was Indian. Uh, his parents were uh, Indian. And 
He, he just happened to be a devotee to uh, the Jain religion. I don't know if you know anything about the Jain religion, uh, but it comes out of India. And, and yet, Shailesh, he was, he was open to hearing about Jesus, about what the Bible had to say about life after death. And, and so I set up a time to meet with him in his room, and it was there that we began our discussion. Well, needless to say, I, I learned a lot that day about what he believed. But more importantly, he got to hear the truth about Jesus Christ, about how he died for our sins and rose from the dead, and how he is bringing salvation to all who call upon his name. And the reason he got to hear that was because I, I took that simple step of faith and I asked. We are still very early in this book of Acts, and yet we have already seen a lot, have we not? From, from Jesus commissioning his, his apostles to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, to Jesus then ascending into heaven where he now sits upon his throne, ruling over his expanding kingdom. And yes, his kingdom is expanding, for he has prepared his church for this kingdom work. And that's what we saw last week, right? With, with, with the choosing of the 12th apostle, with Matthias taking the seat of the traitor Judas. And so the leadership within the church had now been established. God's people were now equipped for this influx of people that would be entering into the kingdom. The church was now ready to receive God's spirit and to begin the good work of being these witnesses to the whole of the earth. This is only possible because Jesus now sits upon his throne because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And so now he would be the one to send his Holy Spirit to his servants in order that they might be used to bring about this kingdom. And this is what we read in our passage today, right? For the day had arrived, the, the Holy Spirit had come in power. Power not only to transform the lives of these followers of Christ, but to transform many, many more lives from the various reaches of this world. The promised rest restoration of the kingdom of Israel would now be underway. Let's, let's look at our first verse. Let's see how this plays out. Look at verse 1. Here we get the setting. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And so we see that it was the day of Pentecost, right? What does Pentecost mean? It, it simply means the 50th day. It means that 50 days had passed since the end of Passover. And it had been roughly a week since Jesus had ascended into heaven. So what is this day of Pentecost? Well, Pentecost was the day when the Jews celebrated the new grain festival in Jerusalem. The, the, the day that people would give thanks to their God for the harvest that, that he had given to them. But not only was Pentecost tied with, with new grain, but, but this celebration, it also coincided with the giving of the law. 
when God made himself known to the nation of Israel after he had freed them from the bondages of slavery and brought them to Mount Sinai. For it was on that day, on the 50th day, that the Ten Commandments were first spoken and when the people entered into a covenant with their God. So needless to say, Pentecost was a significant holy day for these Jews. And so Jerusalem, at this time, on this holy day, it would have been filled with people. Not just people from the city, not just people from Judea, but people from all over the world. In fact, it is, it is estimated that during these big festivals, such as Passover and Pentecost, that Jerusalem would have seen an influx of, of visitors that from anywhere between 250,000 people to half a million. That's a lot of people. And so on this day, on this day of Pentecost, Jerusalem would have been a busy, busy place filled with people from many, many nations. It's almost like it's the perfect setup for God to begin expanding his kingdom. It's almost like God planned it that way. And that's exactly what we see, right? Jesus, he was about to bring in a harvest, a harvest on the very day of the New Grain Festival. Look, look, look at verses 2 through 3. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, now in chapter 1, when Jesus had told his disciples that they would receive power, when the Holy Spirit had come upon them, my, my guess is that they weren't exactly sure what this would look like. Per, perhaps they imagined in their head something like Samson, right? When, whom, when he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, was able to conquer the Philistines through, through the means of brute strength. Or maybe they, they pictured David, who, who was able to defeat giants and, and courageously lead men into battle. And yet the war that these disciples were about to enter was not a war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And so they would need a strength of a different kind. You see, this, this power that they were about to receive would be that which turns the hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. It is a power that, that tears down the lies that permeate this wicked world. Let's look at this a little bit more closely and see what's being described here. First, there, 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 there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind. How many remember the, the old song by Keith Green? Rushing wind come through this temple, blowing out the dust within. Here we have this audible manifestation of God's presence. And this is typical of what we see when God makes himself known to his people. 
that the heavens would break forth in sound. I mean, is this not similar to what happened on Mount Sinai those many, many years ago? When, when there was the loud tempest, the, the, the wind blowing, and the, and the blast of the trumpets before God descended upon that mountain, before God gave them the Ten Commandments. And now here on the day of Pentecost, God is making his approach known once again through the mighty sound of a rushing wind. He was letting his people know that he was approaching. But it wasn't just this audible manifestation that these disciples witnessed, but it was also visual as well. For there, there were these divided tongues that looked like fire. And they had rested upon the heads of God's people. Just as the wind is tied to God's presence, so too is the fire. Again, it was, it was Mount Sinai that was set ablaze when God approached his people. And yet God is neither the wind nor is he the fire. For these things simply signify his coming. But these fiery tongues, they were meant to communicate something as well. They, they, they were meant to demonstrate the power that the Holy Spirit would, would give to these disciples. No, they would not be given the physical strength of Samson. Nor would they be given the, the ability to defeat giants like David. Rather, they, they would be given holy words from God himself. Words in order that they may become witnesses of Jesus Christ. Witnesses to a city that, that had now become filled with thousands upon thousands of people, each arriving from the ends of the earth. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now what is this all about? What, what is this power that had been given to them? Why were they able to speak in these other languages? Because Christ had made them witnesses for his gospel message. And it is through this power that, that, that we see the internal manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these believers. Now in the past, every time I, I used to read this passage, I, I would picture in my mind this, this loud and chaotic scene where all these different languages were being spoken all at once and it, and it seemed confusing and messy. Here's what you need to understand. Yes, these people were speaking loudly, but they were speaking clearly. These were understandable languages that were coming out of their mouths. And I doubt that they were all speaking at the same time. Rather, they most likely took turns and as the Spirit gave them utterance. For as we'll soon see, the people who were witnessing all of this, they could understand what they were saying perfectly well. And so this wasn't some type of gibberish, nor was this an angelic tongue that no human can comprehend. No. 
What they were speaking was both clear and comprehensible. Comprehensible to the visitors of that city. Listen, don't, don't let anybody ever fool you into thinking that, that the gift of tongues is some kind of heavenly language, a language that nobody can understand. The Bible never describes it that way. God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. And the purpose of this gifting of tongues was for clear communication and not for confusion. And yet at the same time, the words that these disciples uttered, they did not have their origins in the minds of men. Rather, these words had been given to them by the Holy Spirit. God was communicating his saving message through his people. But the power that these disciples received was not only in this ability to speak other tongues, but, but we also see a transformation in their lives as well. I mean, think about it. Somehow these, these men had become courageous overnight, right? Courageous for Jesus. They, they had suddenly become these public witnesses for him. And they were doing so in the very city where, 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 where Christ had been crucified only less than two months earlier. And it is this, more than the gift of tongues, that the real strength of the Holy Spirit shows itself. For God would end up using the, the courage of his people to spread his gospel message far and wide in order to grow his kingdom. These men who had once flee, fled, these men who had once hid in fear, they were now out in public as bold, bold witnesses because the power of the Holy Spirit resided within them. Let's look at the effect that these brave men and women had as, on this day of Pentecost. Look at verses 5 through 8. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of ev from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Here we begin to see the outreach that these first witnesses had on this day. Their audience was comprised of devout Jews from every nation under heaven. Think about that. Every nation under heaven. Now, now these devout Jews, they, they would have been pious men, men who had observed the law and yet would have been a part of what is known as a diaspora community. That, that means that, that they made their homes outside of Israel, outside of Judea. Now you have to remember, this is the day of Pentecost, right? And so there would have been hundreds of thousands of visitors in this city. How many would have gathered to hear these disciples that day? Honestly, we have no idea, but, but, but we, we do know that it would have been in the thousands. 
For by the time we get to the end of this chapter, what we'll end up seeing is that roughly 3,000 will have believed the good news on that first day. And so this was a large crowd that they were dealing with. And what was the sound that drew these people in? These different languages that were being spoken. This was an event that they couldn't account for. Now, like I said before, we shouldn't assume that these disciples were all speaking at the same time. For what would be in the purpose of that? Rather, each one took their turn as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And this was done for the sake of clarity, clarity among those who were listening. And listen, they did. In fact, they were bewildered by what they were hearing, right? For each person was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, why would this be so astonishing? Because what they were witnessing was simply impossible. You see, this, this crowd, they knew that these people were followers of Jesus. And so they knew that they would have come from Galilee. For that, that was where all the followers of Jesus came from. And yet a Galilean should not have the ability to speak in their native tongues. Yes, they, they would have known some Hebrew. Yes, they would have known Aramaic, as that was their native tongue. And most likely they would have known Greek as well, as that was the common tongue of the day. But what was being demonstrated here was that they were speaking all these other lesser known languages. Tongues that, that would have never reached the ears of a Galilean. These were languages that these diaspora Jews had learned as they grew up in, in cities far away. Cities from which they were born into. These were tongues that were not spoken even in Jerusalem, let alone Galilee. And yet somehow these Galilean Jews were now speaking fluently languages that they should not know. So where exactly were these people from? Luke gives to us a picture in verses 9 through 11. He says this, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God's. And so here we see that, that it was not only diaspora Jews, but proselytes as well. What was a proselyte? Well, a proselyte was a Gentile convert to Judaism. He, he was one who would have been circumcised, keeping with the law of Moses. And so we see that on this first day of this kingdom expansion, these disciples, they were having this reach, not only to those of Jewish blood, but also to Gentile converts. And look at the distance that some of these people traveled. Luke, he, he, he gives us 15 different locations. I mean, just look at the map right there. Right? Look at the distances that people traveled. Parthia is a region southeast of the Caspian Sea, which is now today northeast Iran. Media is a region next to Parthia in northwest Iran. 
Elam was located what what is now today the lowlands of Khuzestan, as well as part of the highlands of Iran. Mesopotamia, that's the area between the, the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, what would be today eastern Syria and northern Iraq. And then in the middle of this group, Luke, Luke mentions Judea, right? Which was, of course, the land of the Jews, where, the, where they were located right, right there in Jerusalem. Next came Cappadocia, which extends from the Tarsus Mountains north of Cilicia and onto the coast of the Black Sea, which would be eastern Turkey today. Pontus is, is also located in the southeast coast of that Black Sea. And then when, when he, Luke mentions Asia, what, the, what he's referring to there uh, were the Greek cities that were along the Aegean coast of Asia Minor. Phrygia was a nation in the eastern region uh, that was included in the Roman Empire, uh, the region of Galatia. Pamphylia was located between Phrygia and Cilicia. And of course, you all know where Egypt is, right? I don't think the boundaries there have changed much. But back then, there were, there were Jewish communities throughout that kingdom in the upper, lower, and middle regions of Egypt. Libya would have been next to Egypt, uh, the, the, the western region of Cyrene, and the Roman province in northern Africa. And, of course, Luke talks about visitors from Rome, right? That great city, the, 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 the Roman capital that was located in Italy, the city that controlled most of the world at that time. Rome was home to roughly a million people, and it was host to a large Jewish community. And then we have Cretans, right? That big island stuck in the Mediterranean, right? And finally, Luke mentions the Arabs. These were people who were from Arabia or, or also called Nabatia at that time, a region south of Syria and east of Judea. And what is striking about this map is, is, that, is that the reach that these disciples had was vast. And this was on the first day of their ministry. Isn't that crazy? Does it, does it now make sense why Jesus had them wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit arrived? Not only had they become empowered, but God's timing was able to spread the good news of his salvation throughout the majority of the known world. And he did so miraculously by speaking this message in at least 15 different languages. In one day, these disciples were already being witnesses to the ends of the earth. And what was the message that they were speaking? They spoke about the mighty deeds of God. Deeds that were performed by their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Basically, they were sharing the gospel. How Jesus died for their sins and then rose from the dead. And how he was now ruling from heaven above as their king. Yes, this was a kingdom message. And they were proclaiming that Jesus is king. 
And we will see this more fully when we get to Peter's sermon. But for, t- for today, let, let, let's just marvel in the fact that the Holy Spirit was able to exalt Christ in a way that nobody expected. God had spread out his fingers and was able to reach to the ends of the earth. And that, my friends, is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the power of the kingdom of God. Christ is able to tear down borders without even stepping a single foot out of Jerusalem. Think of it this way. What what, what God basically did was he was able to reverse the curse of Babel. You remember Babel, don't you? Look at Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, his name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. You see, the, the curse of Babel occurred because of the, rebellion, the rebelliousness of mankind. Because they refused to disperse over the face of the earth, right? And that is why God separated mankind into the, these different nations by giving them diverse tongues, diverse languages. He made sure that they would spread out. And yet now here in the book of Acts, we see this curse being reversed. And it was because the kingdom of God had come upon them. And the command of Jesus Christ is to go. To go to the ends of the earth. To go to all nations. All nations are not to be united under one king. King Jesus There will no longer be any division. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit came in power. And he is now breaking down the barriers. Barriers that that, that have been hindering people from entering God's kingdom. He is bringing this message of salvation to every nation. Heaven's gates are now wide open. But the question is, would all heed the call? Let's find out. Look at at verses 12 and 13. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, 
What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. There was no, de- no denying that God had made himself known to these people. And yet here we see two different responses. There, there, there are those who desire to know more, and then there are the scoffers. Let's consider the first group. What was it that they asked? What does this mean? That's such a great question. These people, they, they, they weren't necessarily asking about the meaning of the message they heard, but rather they wanted to know how these disciples of Jesus could be speaking in their languages. I mean, this was obviously a sign from God. But what was God communicating? What does this mean? It meant that God was in their midst. These folks, they were looking for answers. But what about the scoffers? How did they respond to this? Rather than seeking the truth, they instead put forth this claim that these men and women were simply drunk. Rather than believing what God has made plain to them, what was right in front of their faces, they instead attacked the very ones who were demonstrating this manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You see, these these people, these scoffers, they had already made up their minds when it came to Jesus. They would not repent, nor would they claim Jesus as their king. They would not bend the the knee to this one who claimed to be their Messiah. And so they threw, threw shade on his disciples, accusing them of drunkenness by the form of some cheap wine. In essence, they they came up with some lame reason to explain away God's presence. Listen, if you are here today and you have yet to believe in this Jesus, then then let me ask you this. In in which group do you find yourself? How do you react when, when God makes himself manifest to you? Are you of those who see the workings of God and want to understand the meaning behind it? Or are you of those who have already made up their minds and will never believe no matter how much God reveals himself to you? Has your heart become so hard? Have you been, become so full of rage towards God that, that when you hear Christ's name, you simply refuse? May the Holy Spirit soften that heart. And may the eyes, may your eyes be opened to the truth of who Jesus is. So we see two groups, right? There are those who who are open to what God is doing, and then there are those who have these hard hearts, those who refuse to believe no matter how much evidence is thrown their way. And this will be the character of the apostles' ministry throughout the rest of this book, this book of Acts. They will experience both open hearts as well as scoffers and violent men. And this is how it is today as well, is it not? 
when we go about this kingdom work. There, there, there will be those in whom God's spirit will move, and then there will be those whose hearts are hard. And no matter what evidence you bring forth, no matter how much God manifests himself to them, they will refuse to believe because they just don't want to believe. When I, when I shared the gospel with Shalish all those years ago, he, he found my beliefs to be very strange. He thought that the claims that I was making were outrageous. That a man rose from the dead. And though I spoke clearly and with much evidence proving that Jesus was alive, he didn't want to believe. Because he didn't want to give up the false religion that he had embraced. And this is the way it will go many times when you take that step of faith, when you, when you become a witness for Jesus. And yet we never give up, right? Because we know that the power of the Holy Spirit can overcome any obstacle. And we know that there will be those who will be looking for meaning, looking for answers. And it was on this day of Pentecost that the Apostle Peter gave an answer. An answer to those who were looking for that meaning. Look at, look at verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So no, these people were not drunk, for it was only the third hour of the day. In other words, it was 9 a.m., those who get drunk get drunk in the, at night. They don't wake up at these early hours. Plus, it was obvious that, that not only that, that they were not inebriated, but because but, with drunkenness typically comes a slurred speech, right? Not clear declarations of God's mighty works spoken in foreign tongues. And so, no, they were not drunk. Rather, what they were now witnessing was a fulfillment of prophecy. The last days had come upon them, and God was now pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. You see, not only will the kingdom of God cross political boundaries, not, not only will it reach into Gentile nations, but it will cross social boundaries as well. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
In other words, God's Spirit works in the hearts of both men and women. There is no one gender that God favors. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And so the gates of God's kingdom have been opened to the young and the old alike. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. God cares not about one's social standing, for even the lowly of this world will soon reign as princes and princesses in his kingdom. And the crowd that Peter now addressed had borne witness to the fulfillment of this prophecy. That is the meaning of the rushing wind and the flaming tongues, as well as the declaration of God's mighty works spoken in foreign languages. The kingdom of God had fallen upon them. And everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. And the same is true today. We too are living in these last days. And God's Holy Spirit moves mightily, rescuing souls from the pits of hell. This outpouring of God's Spirit is continuing as we speak. And Jesus, Jesus Christ is overturning the kingdoms of this world. The curse continues to be lifted. And all who call upon his name shall be saved. Do you believe this? Because it's true. The Holy Spirit is moving in your life. The Holy Spirit is making you a witness of Jesus Christ. He has called you to proclaim his gospel. When I was sharing the gospel with Shalish, the power of the Holy Spirit was moving mightily that day as well. Not necessarily in Shalish's heart, but in the heart of his roommate, Matt. Yes, another soul was in that room when I shared the gospel with Shalish. And at the start, I, I asked Matt if he wanted to join us. And he said no. He simply sat at his desk doing his homework. But as he was at that desk, he was, he was eavesdropping as the gospel was being proclaimed. And it was in the heart of Matt that the Holy Spirit was working mightily. Matt is now a Christian. He, he, he believes the message that he heard, even though I, I never meant to address it to him. And yet now he is my brother in Christ. For the Holy Spirit moved in his heart and he has been welcomed into God's kingdom. Dear friends, the Holy Spirit is still active today and he is manifesting his kingdom even as we speak. The curse is being lifted for all those who call upon the name of the Lord. And the question is, will you be a part of that kingdom movement? Will you tell of the mighty works of God? The Holy Spirit will give you utterance. Will you open your mouth? 
Listen, if you are in Christ, then you have been given power. Power from on high. Don't be afraid to use it. Gain courage in knowing that God is with you and that he has poured out his spirit upon you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are truly in awe of who you are. We, we are in awe of your mighty deeds and your mighty power. And we are humbled that you would choose to dwell within us. Help us to become your witnesses. Give us the courage and the, the boldness that we need to, to speak of Jesus to our friends and to our neighbors and to our family and to the strangers who are all around us. And we pray for those who will hear your message, that their hearts will become soft and malleable, that you would produce faith within them. For Lord, we, we know that it is only you who can save. And so we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit before us so that our words won't fall on deaf ears. May your kingdom grow as you speak your truth through us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.